So when I hear you speak, what I hear is the amount of shock that you're still feeling. And what I know about shock is is that it requires a lot of safety and a very specific kind of caring attention for it to release out of one's system. And before the shock has released out of your system, there isn't really a whole lot that a person is able to do in terms of engagement or action or inquiry or support for others. And so my encouragement would be not to worry about um, how to respond to the bigger situation, but to really allow the shock to release and to do what you need to do to support that. And then when the shock releases more, there'll be more capacity to be engaged in a, in a larger way. Imagining how awful that would be. 
and it just brings up, this is an old issue for me, just love, and when you love somebody, like your children, or anybody, how much, just the risk of loving someone, because you can lose, so I'm just overwhelmed with sadness and grief, and I'm glad I'm crying. I'm hard to cry alone. So thank you for sharing your tears. I know from my own experience with working with anger is that it's got an enormous amount of energy in it. And one component of that energy is that it really has the ability to galvanize and to stand up and to create very safe boundaries. Of no, it's not okay for you to transgress this and to violate this boundary. Okay. But I also know from the work that I've done and the way I've been in community in my own experience with my own anger is that when we actually act from anger, there's a suffering that comes. And so the energy needs to be distilled so that the energy of protection is distilled out from the energy of wanting to harm or to humiliate or to put down or to be vindictive so that that is not where we're acting from. Even though we're, we're composting the component of that to utilize that for galvanizing our interest, our attention, our ability to mobilize so that we can engage. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, please. Is there a way that you can use that distilled energy, that, that, that source, that, that component, to protect yourself from a force or an energy that's maybe even greater than that anger, that energy that might be trying to harm you at some later point in time, even though you may have experienced it or felt it at a previous time in your life? I think I'd need like a concrete example to work with. Perhaps somebody has hurt you in the past, and you have worked through that anger or that pain in, in a good way, and you've come through that in a positive, enlightened experience. But then, perhaps now, you're experiencing violence or anger from another human being or another entity even that you're not even sure of what. Is there some way of calling back that that source, that galvanized part that you're speaking of, that distilled essence that you're speaking of, and using it to, as you say, galvanize, to, to put that distilled form in place in front of, to act as a source of protection from this other energy field, this other form that might be actually trying to use their energy to harm you, to cause you physical pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain, something that might cause you grief along your spiritual path. What I know to do is um, about how I'm relating in the present moment. And how I'm relating in the present moment has a lot to do with whether I feel protected or I feel vulnerable or I feel exposed to the things that are happening around me. So when I feel grounded, and when I feel a sense of clarity about my own intention, and when I feel like I know who I am in the space around me, and people can be activated or unkind or mean or aggressive, and it doesn't have the same effect on me as when I'm ungrounded, I'm not clear who I am, I'm not clear in the space I am, and I'm needing the space and the people around me to somehow affirm and validate me. So the more clear I am, the more grounded I am, the more centered I am, and the more I feel protected through refuge and awareness, because the stuff doesn't stick, it doesn't land, and it doesn't activate in the same way when I need the people and the situation around me who affirm who I am. So that is the way, in my practice, my distillation is constantly bringing me back into the present moment to see where am I asking for the world to be different. That's how I work with it. So, Ozzy? During the guided meditation, I was um, a little bit interested and surprised by the resistance that came up within me when you included the shooter in the meditation. Um, 
So it's really interesting for me to kind of just notice that resistance. Now, I didn't create a story for myself or the world or whatever around that resistance. I just kind of sat with it and it'd be uh, eventually passed. But I did find that really kind of interesting in that moment, um, the, the way in which you include in which I totally agree with, and that's how I want to be in the world. But just noticing what was going on within me in that moment, there was some, some resistance to, to that in that moment. Can I just check and see if anyone else felt that? appreciate your honesty in sharing at this level and this level of the dilemma that all of us are wrestling with which is how do we respond to this in a way that makes sense what is needed and how do we actually move forward but I agree with your assessment that what's lacking is a fabric of belonging And when people don't feel a fabric of belonging, all kinds of crazy things happen. Yes, Tom? Um, You know, one thing that has been going through my mind recently, now, just to sort of amplify on what Solvazi said, I I have actually no problem um, feeling compassion for the shooter. In fact, I've been feeling that way all, all along. The guy did not know what he was doing, I think. But had you said, uh, have compassion for the NRA, that would have been a different story. <laughs> <laughs> have compassion for the governments out there. I would have a very difficult time. And that's what I've been wrestling with. I feel huge anger at that group. Okay? I feel, you know, that political group. You can hear it in my voice. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling it in my chest. Mm-hmm. Rage. Rage. I'm fucking angry at them. So standing in the middle of that power, Don, standing in the middle of that, allowing it to be there, and knowing that a huge part of that is because there's a seeing of a cause and effect relationship between policy and result. Staying with the anger and allowing the anger to move through the indignation 
into clarity, into conviction, into knowing from your bone marrow what's true, what's right, and what you need to do as a result. Can I say one more thing? Please. Yeah. Isn't it interesting that the reaction after the Aurora shootings was a run on guns, record sales of guns? <coughs> That's the way this country seems to be responding to this threat. And I think that it's playing into the hands of certain economic interests, people who have a vested interest in keeping the pockets afraid and encouraging them to buy guns. And look at how many million people, how many million guns are there in this country? Almost as many as there are people in the country. So I think the country's lost its mind. So, why don't we go into this kind of analysis of what's happening with the country? One thing that I do know is, is is that when each of us move towards dismantling fear, then we are not target to being manipulated, and our own commitment to waking up out of fear is creating a solid support system where we can galvanize another response. I despair. I've been at this 45 years, sitting in meditation. Um, I've looked at you know this supposedly spiritual country and yet it does not seem to be having all that much of an effect on the mentality of the country. So before we look at the mentality of the country, we need to look at our own mentality. (laughs) And before we look at the mentality of the country, we need to look at our brothers and sisters in our own community and our family. And as we galvanize in friendship groups and kinship groups and community groups in associations where we have a sense of common ground, then we can look and see, is there having an effect? And how that effect is affecting the people in our immediate sphere. It is through the immediate connections that we have with each other that we reach out and make global changes. Not in a grand idea about how it's supposed to be. And it's absolutely humbling. I agree. Yes, please. Um, I don't see, I had an interesting opportunity to interact with some people very much on the other side of the gun debate. Well, when it comes down to a lot of the individual shooters, the point of their not feeling um, a sense of belonging like I think you referred to, is part of what's an issue. Um, what I guess is the bigger issue is that it's really a lack of a sense of um, collaboration and compassion, and that what drives the reactions like John referred to, to buying guns, 
reassuring their own sense of security, even though it may be illusory, rather than willing to make any sort of sacrifice that would, in fact, in the net, make everyone safer. And I still feel that the best way of addressing that is through the change that we make ourselves individually and what we do with each other and what we do in our communities. So you're talking about a global response and national response. And my own personal feeling is, is that each one of us in our own individual way can find another way. I think your analysis is accurate. But that makes me feel more compelled to my own practice rather than less. Yes, please. Um, my response to the event was that it, it um, made me afraid to be myself um, because um, I um, I really like I, I've worked in a hospital and um, from that I feel like I've gotten some, some equanimity about death um, and I'm, I'm afraid to say this because of the saying that um, um, people may not remember um, what you said, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. Um, but the first thing that came to mind when I heard about the shooting was that the death rate for life is 100%. Um, you know, none of us gets out of here alive. Um, technology may change that, but we're not there yet. And, you know, I, I felt the strongest compassion um, for the people who survived, um, the ones who have that um, wired into their brain for the rest of their lives. Um, you know, obviously, for the people who died, that's a horrifying way to die. Nobody should have to die that way. Um, but, you know, my... My thoughts were with them only in passing, um, and I, um, I really um, liked what I perceived to be your reorienting our focus on ourselves. Um, one of my um, favorite movies contains a, a scene where um, some men um, are about to intentionally crash a car and in that scene one of the men turns to the other and, and says what would you feel right now if you died? What would you feel about your life? And, and the other man um, you know, who has this kind of existential angst that I think we all fall prey to sometimes 
um, you know, he kind of resists the question, and then he comes back and says, I wouldn't feel anything good about my life. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't live in the space, but, you know, I think about it sometimes. Um, you know, it, that, that if, if I was on a jetliner that was going down that 30 seconds to two minutes, you know, um, would I um, have this overwhelming sense of fear or regret? Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I think about all the possible... Um, reactions that people might have to that. Um, there might be screaming, there might be weeping. I remember there was an, an instance where... I want to pause you for a moment. You started it saying you feel frightened to be who you are. Yeah. Can you go back to that? Well, just just that um, when I, when I um, say that um, the death rate for life is 100%, that, that might sound callous to people. Um, I think that um, our society, and I, you know, I don't have a universal solution for this, but our society um, is so far removed from death. We we put death away in nursing homes. We put it under bridges. Okay. So what I hear you saying is abstracting. And what I'm asking you to do is to come back to yourself. Okay. What is it that has happened that makes it feel difficult for you to be who you are? Just in, in sharing my worldview and my perspective, I, I fear rejection by the group. No, no. No, I'm not rejecting you. No. What I'm wanting to know is how, how it is that how what has happened has made it be that you don't feel comfortable to be who you are. Um, I have one of those internet accounts that you can, you know, share your thoughts with people. Uh-huh. Um, and, um, you know, the, the first thought that came to mind is, um, you know, the, the thing about the death rate of life is 100%. And, you know, I was I was like, you know, there, I, I bet that there would be a lot of people who would not rank me if I posted that in the first day or two after the tragedy. some perfection in all of it, that the causes and conditions were there for each person and each child who lived and each one who died and for all the parents and what they were going through and for all of us. And so, speaking to your place about um, do you express yourself with perhaps an opinion, which I've done all my life, that seems a bit um, different from collective consciousness to to suggest what is it that keeps us from seeing the perfection in all of it? 
if we study cause and condition and each person with on the karmic wheel or their karmic seeds ripening or whatever it is that I have practiced, then what is there to be angry at or enraged at? Or we've gotten... And so I'm at, I'm at peace and um, not fearful and feel a sense of purpose and calm and orderly. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.